Hello. Am I on? I'm here. Sorry, I'm trying to get this onto my pants, and I can't. I can't do it. I'm struggling. <laughs> you can do it. Well, good morning. Happy uh, Palm Sunday to you this day. Um, I am glad you're here. Uh, it is a beautiful day. I see a motorcycle. It is the perfect day for a bike ride. I agree. And uh, just chilly enough to have a light jacket, but not where you're freezing to death. But um, uh, before we jump into our message, a couple of announcements. Um, if you're a guest, thank you for being with us today. Um, as a way to say thank you, back at our guest table, we have a bag there. Please feel free to take one uh, for yourself. It's a way of saying thank you uh, for taking a part of, out of your weekend to be with us today. Um, I forgot to announce the, our little buckets for the tithe. So if you have any tithe or offerings uh, that you'd like to give back at the kiosk, you can give there or at lifechurchutah.com. Um, and then coming up on April 10th, we have a workday scheduled uh, at 180 Ministries here in Erda. It is a great ministry for teen girls. They have a home with, I believe it's five acres of property. And so we went there in the fall to help do some cleanup. And uh, we're going again on April 10th to go out there and help them with some projects, get their property uh, looking good. And uh, it's really a great time of, of serving. And then... Uh, starting April 7th through the 11th, we as a church, Life Church Utah, are doing uh, a fasting and prayer. So we're going to every day fast a meal and during that time devote time to reading God's word and praying and asking God to do uh, you know, whatever miracles you need in your life, in our community, within your family. Just take that time to pray for those things. And every day at noon, Pastor Rich will do a devotional that you can see on Facebook or YouTube. Um, and then to kick it all off, we're going to have a worship and prayer night on April 7th at 7 uh, p.m. at the West Valley Campus. Um, it is a jaunt from here, and I understand if you can't make it, but it really is a great time to get together with a, a body of believers and uh, worship and pray and really... Uh, expect great things from God. So if you can be there, be there. Now, next week is Easter, and after service, we are going to have an Easter egg hunt for the kiddos. So push your lunch plans to 1.30, 2 o'clock, so that they can uh, participate and be a part of those fun activities. And then last week... Um, I teased my wife and told you that uh, she is pregnant with our third child, and we made wagers inside about if it would be a boy or a girl. So if you voted boy, what, who, who's, who's boys? I'm a boy. Okay. Who thinks it's a girl? We're about split. There's some like undecideds. Um, well, drum roll. As you saw, I can play the drums, so drum roll. Um, it is a boy. <laughs> so it's very exciting. Um, and to fill you in on a little bit of how our appointment went, we had a one-hour-long ultrasound, and they go through and they measure everything, uh, the kidneys, the bladder, the bones, the, the spine, 
the toes, the head, um, and everything on the baby looks perfect. But they kept coming back to this one measurement. And given our history, um, we kind of knew, like, hey, uh, what's going on? And so when our doctor came in, he kind of had that somber uh, to him. And long story short, there's a fold of skin on the back of the head. It's called the nuchal fold. And they don't want that to measure any larger than six millimeters. Um, and our baby measured at 6.3. So what that means is they say it's a soft marker for a chromosomal abnormality. And so what it could mean is the baby could have Down syndrome or a, a number of other things. The thing is, is with everything the way the baby measured, um, he says, I really don't think that there is uh, an issue. I don't see anything uh, going wrong here. And um, he said, I just have to tell you, I'm your doctor. I have to make you aware of these things. And um, I shared with you last week, you know, that, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief kind of thing. And it really messed with my head for a couple days. And we spent some time praying about it. And it's like, you know what, God, you are the one that is knitting together that baby in Allison's womb. And come what may, um, I will believe that this baby will be healthy in mind, body, and spirit, that this baby is going to be perfect. And I trust him with that. All of that to say, just continue to keep us in your prayers. Keep uh, Allison and the baby in your prayers because um, August is going to get here real quick. And uh, we're excited. We're very excited. So thank you for celebrating with us. Thank you for praying for us. Um, it's, we're going to add one more to this group of people, to our little family here. So it's exciting. Last week, we looked at the story of the rich young ruler, a gentleman that had everything but felt like something was missing. So we approached Jesus to find out, what is it that I lack? What do I have to do to gain eternal life? So Jesus challenges him with the commandments, commandments on how to treat your fellow man. And he said, well, I've kept all of these things from my youth. And he says, well, there is one thing that you still lack. He says, go, take all your possessions and sell them. Give them to the poor and come follow me. And in response, the young man's head, he hung his head and he walked away sorrowful. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the, the, the disciples said, well, then... Who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with man it's impossible, but, with, but not with God. With God, everything is possible. All things are possible. And I shared this, uh, this truth that eternal life is only found in complete reliance in Jesus. Eternal life is only found in complete reliance in Jesus. This statement answers the young man's question. Eternal salvation or eternal life is only found in complete reliance on God, and it might require us to give something up. You see, the young man depended on his good deeds, his works, and his wealth. So Jesus challenges him. You must rely solely on God. I mean, I had some ask me last week, do you still not listen to secular music? Because I shared my story of how God challenged me to give up 
um, music that was a bad influence, and maybe it wasn't even a bad influence, but he wanted me to give up my music because it was my means of coping. It was, uh, it was more of a, I guess, a, a crutch, maybe you could say an idol. And to answer that question, for a lot of years, I did not. Um, I, I cut it completely out of my life. Uh, my focus was to grow deeper with Jesus, and my dependence turned toward him. And I started listening to music that was uplifting his name and, and would encourage me. Um, now, slowly, a little bit has been introduced back in, but I am much more selective. I am not going to listen to just anything. I am not going to allow... Uh, junk into my, my, my head, into my car, or my home with my kids. I do still like George Strait, um, Alan Jackson. Uh, I, I, I like Leonard Skinner and some of them classic rock. Uh, I, I still like the blues. I like Michael Buble. Um, Kelly Clarkson is one of my favorites. So I, I do listen to it. But what I've noticed is I, I'm more conscious. And when I'm in a tough time, I turn towards God, and I, I, I cry out to Him. You know, sometimes when we're asked to give something up, it may be for a season. Sometimes it'll be for the rest of your life. It just depends as you grow in your walk with Jesus. But see, I don't think Jesus wanted the rich young ruler to live in poverty. That's not why He wanted him to sell his things. He wanted him to get his focus straight. He wanted him to be looking at and focusing on God and trusting on Him. Because at the end of the day, the only way we gain eternal life is through Jesus. And I, I challenged us. I had a reflection and a challenge, and it was, you know, I, look at areas where Jesus is challenging you. What, is there anything He wants you to give up? Are you trusting anything more than you are trusting Him? And then the challenge was this, simply give it up. Trust God in the process. Trust Him in what He is asking you to do so that you can grow in that relationship and pray to Him for Him to reveal to you where it is that you have more dependence. Is it on Him or is it in something else? And this last week, I really felt like God was challenging me. Forrest, give up your worry. Give it up. He wanted me to be reminded that I can fully trust Him. And so... Where did he challenge you this past week? Now, something that I remember quite well growing up was dinner. Now, I get teased because I can eat, and there's no hiding it. So it might come as no surprise that I remember dinner as a kid. But see, dinner was a special time growing up. And I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now. Um, and I try to replicate uh, the same tradition in my home with my family. See, every night, and I'm sure there were some occasions where it didn't happen, but it, it seemed like every single night, mom would make dinner for the six of us. Meat, potatoes, and a vegetable. And every night it was on the table. And, you know, growing up, mom was the best chef in the world. A genuine Chef Ma O.D., Chef Gal O.D., Chef Boyardee. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Now, don't get me wrong. She can still cook, but see, when I got older, I found spice, and I found, <laughs> I found hot sauce, and so food now needs a little bit of kick, and mom doesn't cook with any kick. Um, in fact, Ray, uh, 
Crystal, she taught Allison how to make this green sauce for chilequiles, and I can't have eggs without it now. It is, it's just so good. Um, but anyhow, uh, when Dad got home, we all sat down as a family at the dinner table. There was no music. There was no TV. It was just us at the dinner table. Even in the summertime, Mom would call us all in. We would come in, sit down, and eat. And the neighbor kids didn't get it all the time. And they were always at the door knocking. And finally, a note was posted on the front door. We're eating dinner. The kids will be out when they're done. Please don't knock anymore. Dinner time was a special time for us. And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, there probably wasn't any super deep conversation. But there were things that, that happened there. There at that dinner table is where I learned manners. Um, you don't chew with your mouth open. No one wants to see what's going on inside your face. Uh, your napkin goes in your lap. No elbows on the table. You don't reach across the table. You ask for it to be passed. When you're passing the food, you pass it to the right. You know, these are things that I was taught at the dinner table. And like I said, even though there weren't any really probably soup deeper conversations, there was no distractions. And that's what I try to do with my family is to TV off, music off, let's sit down, let's talk about school. What, what made you happy? What made you mad? What, how did your day go? What did you learn? And, you know, sometimes there's stuff that comes up that you wouldn't think would come up. Well, at mom and dad's table, challenges sometimes would happen between me and my sisters, and sometimes uh, mom and dad would get involved. And one that I remember the best was the eye test. At the dinner table, Dad was the ophthalmologist, and he could determine how well your eyesight was by trying to read the clock on the stove. And so we would each take turns, and when it got to me, you know, I would, I would sit there and I'd squint, and I, they were fuzzy, but I could make it out, and I would pass the test, and as you can see, I need glasses, but, um, you know, they're not pretend. They aren't to make me look more dapper. Uh, they are real. Um, why I didn't get glasses sooner than I did, I don't know. My sisters had glasses. Perhaps it's because I never said anything about my eyesight. Um, but it was after I graduated high school, and I, I finally got my first pair of glasses. And I, I don't think I can fully tell you how incredible it was. I'm going to try because it's part of our story. But um, when I put glasses on for the first time, it pretty much changed my life. I had always heard about these things called pores and how everybody had them. I had never seen them. So when I put my glasses on and I looked at the lady, I was like, whoa, that's what a, that's what a face looks like. It was, it was pretty incredible. You know, looking back, I've, I've, I've played basketball in high school. I may have actually gone to college if I could see the hoop, you know? <laughs> Who knows? But I went from a kid that was blind to one that could see. The, sharp, the world was sharper. It was clearer. And it was quite amazing. Today we're going to look at a similar story. A, a story that will cover both physical and spiritual blindness. To do this, we're going to make our way through a great deal of scripture. Several chapters. But by the time we get to the end of it, I, I, I think... Our eyes are going to be opened. We'll start in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And as I was putting this together, this was my idea. 
may we see and recognize the time of God coming to us. May we see and recognize the time of God coming to us. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come together and read your word. And I pray this morning especially that our eyes would be open to what your spirit is saying. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us and reveal your truth to us this morning. We invite you to come in and kind of mix things up and bring clarity. Bring in a clear vision. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus, the disciples, and a large crowd are making their way to Jerusalem. But before they get there, we get this story of a blind man. Now, this man was physically blind. He never saw the face of Jesus, never saw a miracle, but he believed. A man that I'm sure had heard the stories sitting by the gate, I'm sure he heard of what Jesus was doing. And probably thought to himself somewhere inside, if I could just have a chance. If he would just pass my way, I know I would call out. I, I don't care what the people around me would say. It doesn't matter. I know that the scriptures spoke of, of one that is coming. And although I haven't seen him, I believe he's the one. So he throws all pride aside. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And immediately, people tell him to be quiet. Don't you know your place, son? Shh, sit down. He wasn't going to have it. All the more he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My friends, sometimes when we are calling out to Jesus, it might seem like he doesn't hear you. It might seem like he's not there responding to you. There will be people that will get you to want to be quiet. Shh. He's not there. Jesus isn't real. Jesus doesn't care about you and your problems. Jesus isn't going to waste his time on you. Just sit down and be quiet. But you must block all of that out. Your resolve must be firm. You must continue to cry out. You notice Jesus didn't answer him the first time he cried out. It wasn't the first call, it was the second call. Sometimes our faith is going to be challenged. Sometimes 
He's not going to respond on the first cry. Why? Why didn't he respond the first time? I would say, faith? See, where, where is your faith at? Where is your boldness at? Where is your trust at? Where is your endurance at? See, the devil and people around you are going to try to make you think he doesn't care, that he isn't there. Just be quiet. But you see, by faith, you know he's there. By faith, you trust he cares. By faith, you have boldness he will respond. By faith, you will endure because he has told you he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you. He is with you by faith. So what happens? He gets his audience with Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I want to receive my sight. Go, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Bartimaeus, even though he couldn't see, he was able to see who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the one from where he would get his help. He was the one that would bring the healing. He was the one, and he was able to see and recognize who he was, who it was that was before him. So I say again, may we see and recognize the time of God coming to us. Now is the time for Jesus to enter Jerusalem, and this crowd that is with him and his disciples are all there with him, and they begin to go in to Jerusalem, and we pick up that story in chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Here we see Jesus being celebrated and cheered. And I always thought growing up, how do you go from this triumphal entry at the beginning of the week to the events at the end of the week? But something I realized as I was going through this, these were people that were following him. These were people that knew who he was. They were traveling with him from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so that's why they, uh, one of the Gospels records there were palm branches. That's not native to Jerusalem, but closer to Jericho. And so these people were traveling with him, and I'm sure as they began to worship, people there in town began to uh, join them as well. But we see in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 39 through 40, gives us a little insight about what's going on. It says, some of the Pharisees, and this is from the Amplified Version, some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for shouting these messianic praises. Jesus replied, I tell you, if these people keep silent, the stones will cry out in praise. Keep your people under control. Sorry, guy. These people are going to praise. They're going, and if not, you want to see something crazy, watch these rocks. They're going to sing too. But you see, this was only for the Messiah. These, these sayings that they are saying, uh, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. This is a, a Messiah's praise. They don't see him as this. That's why they rebuke him. 
See, this is where we see how the table is about to, to is being set for the situation to change. Time and time again, Jesus has made himself equal with God. Time and time again, his disciples don't follow the traditions of the elders. And now this, he allows a large crowd to worship him, to praise him. Worship has meant for the Messiah. See, while the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had all of the information at their fingertips, they had their traditions, they knew the, what, what the scriptures said, they had read it, they had studied it, they couldn't see. They were unable to recognize who was in front of them. They were blind to who Jesus was. And soon it would all come to an end because they began in that moment to plot, to scheme, to find a way to arrest and kill Jesus. But they had to wait because even as bold as they were, they were afraid of the people because the people viewed Jesus as a prophet. And if they were to do it in daylight, if they were to do it in front of people, there would be an uprising. So they start working the deals behind closed doors. Now, during this week, Jesus goes in and you have the story of him overturning the tables at the temple. He goes on and begins to teach more people and visit more places and continues his ministry. And we get to the moment where it's time for them to have the Passover feast. Now, I want to take a minute and I want to talk about the Passover. If you've been in church for a minute, you've heard the word Passover. But what is the significance of the Passover? Well, to understand it, we have to go back to the law. And then from there, we have to go back to Exodus. So God was clear that sin, when it entered the world, would bring death. And because we sinned, we were responsible to pay the penalty of that debt. However, God didn't want it that way. So he set up a system where the penalty would be passed. And in the Old Testament, the penalty was passed to a sacrifice, to an animal, where they would place their hands upon the animal and the guilt and everything would pass to them, and then that animal would be sacrificed. Well, why is that necessary? Well, the Bible says that the power of life is in the blood. God said it himself, life is in the blood. So when Israel, our slaves in Egypt, Moses is trying to get Pharaoh to release the people time and time again, and he won't do it. He's stubborn. So we get to the last plague, and this plague is the plague of plagues because throughout all of the other plagues, God is challenging all of the gods of Egypt, and this last one is going to be uh, the, the nail in the coffin. And so what God instructs the Israelites to do, they are to take the blood of a lamb, and they are to put it on the doorposts around their front door. And they are to cook the lamb and they are to eat it. And they're supposed to eat it fully dressed, ready to go, saying, we're getting out of here. We're getting out of Dodge. So that night, as God would pass through Egypt, when he would see the blood around the doorpost, he would pass over it. But if it wasn't there, the firstborn of every animal and human was going to die that night challenging the final God of Egypt. When he saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that home. Whoever was inside the house was safe. It didn't matter who you are. It didn't matter where you were from. 
God saw the blood and he passed over you. You were saved because of the blood of the lamb. Now, Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room. And they have prepared to eat the Passover meal. And Jesus begins to speak to them and tell them, and he shares with them, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And all the disciples kind of freak out, is it me, is it me? And he, in a way, kind of tells them who it's going to be. And Judas Iscariot leaves. And now as they're reclining at the table, they sit down to eat the Passover. We find it in Mark 14, verses 22 through 25. And it says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Now, if you would, we are going to take communion as a church family. If you haven't received the emblems, uh, Pete is going to uh, be ready for you to get them. Did everybody get some? Okay. If you would, uh, please stand to your feet as we do this. You can see in the top there we have this wafer, this wafer representing the bread, representing the body of Christ. Now see, the body of Christ, it was broken for the remission of sin. This was to pay the penalty for everybody once and for all. This was the last time this was ever going to have to take place. Father, I thank you for the body. I thank you that on our behalf, you took upon you the penalty of our transgression. That in your broken body, we find healing. We find hope. We find restoration. We find salvation. I thank you, Jesus, that you were able to fulfill the law that once and for all the price would be paid, and you did it for us. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take the bread. Now the cup, the cup, the juice, the wine, representing the blood of the new covenant. The covenant that life would be found in, in the blood of of Jesus, that never again would a sacrifice need to be made. It was sealed in his blood because just as God passed over the houses in Egypt, when he looks upon us, when we believe on Jesus, he sees the blood of Jesus and he passes over our sin. He passes over us, giving us salvation. See, when we believe, our life is covered by that sacrifice. That is the new covenant. No longer is this animal sacrifice necessary because it was paid for by Jesus. Because of it, we live. Jesus, I thank you for the covenant that is in your blood. I thank you, Jesus, that you gave it all, that it is sealed in this, that no longer... Is there guilt? No longer is there shame, but there is hope and there is freedom. That in 
your blood, we are washed clean. We are made white as snow. So I pray even in this moment, moment search us and know us and, and, and cleanse us. We thank you for this new covenant. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take the cup. So my friends, may we see and recognize the time of God coming to us. You may be seated. Mark 14, 32 through 36 says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here we see Jesus in anguish over what is about to take place, of what is coming. He was fully aware. He had already predicted his death three times to his disciples. We see it in the Last Supper. We see making preparation at the Passover. We see in his plea to God, if this can pass, please let it pass. He knew the pain that was going to come. He knew what was going to take place. I don't know if you remember when we started this study on the book of Mark, and even back when we did uh, the Christmas series, Emmanuel, God with us, that I explained that Jesus, while he was 100% God, he was 100% man, he knew what it was to hurt. He knew what it was to feel pain. He knew what it was to have heartache. And he knew that what he was about to endure was going to be overwhelming. But he knew he had to do it. Why? Because it was the will of the Father. See, the love of God propelled him to fulfill the scriptures. The love of God propelled him to give himself as a ransom. He told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, that night, it was going to happen. The Pharisees had found their man. They found the one that would take them to Jesus in the middle of the night. His own disciple betrays him with a kiss at the Garden of Gethsemane, where they take him away. They take him to the religious leaders and they give him a trial where people come up and give false testimony, false testimony, false testimony. And then finally, Jesus tells them, yes, you will see me coming, sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of glory. And they accuse him of blasphemy and sentence him to death. But because of Jewish law, they couldn't execute a man, so they had to take him before Pilate. So they take him out to Pilate. Pilate 
goes and he sits, he talks with him. What they're saying, is it true? Don't you know I have the power to release you or the power to condemn you? And he says, you'd have no power over me at all if it was not given to you from my Father above. And so to appease the Jewish people, he has them beaten. They would take a crown of thorns and press it into his brow. They would take a whip and slash his back. That beating, that pain, that wasn't enough. The Jewish people all the more cried out, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate says, I wash my hands of it. I find no fault in the man. You go do what you're going to do. We pick that up in Mark chapter 15. Verse 22 through 37. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, but he can't even save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. This is why Jesus came. Mark is a book of action. A book of God doing something among his people. This is what he was doing. Providing salvation. A way to eternal life. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. It also says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is why he proclaimed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he took on the sin of the world. He became sin for us, and the Father could not look on it. He is holy. And so he turned away. The first time, there was separation between Jesus and his Father. But you see, he had to endure it because of the joy set before him. 
So what's the joy in this story of betrayal and hurt and abuse and suffering? What's the joy in this story? You? Me? Here before you is the truth that leads to life. Before you in the story is the story of God saying, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your struggles. It doesn't matter your sin. Why? Because of my son. Those things are gone. Because there is a new covenant, a new way. And when you believe in my son, I pass over those things. I don't see those things. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation if you will believe in me. So this morning, who will you be? Will you be blind Bartimaeus, who physically couldn't see but was able to recognize who Jesus was? Or will you be a Pharisee who has all the information before you and choose to be blind? Because you see, if you believe, your faith will heal you. Amazing grace. I think of the old song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Will you choose to believe? My friends, may we recognize, may we see and recognize the time of God coming to us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I can't close this service without giving an opportunity to make Jesus your Savior. And it's not hard. You simply believe in your heart that he died, he rose again. The Bible says you are a new creation. So if that's you this morning, if you would like to say, I want to start this journey with Jesus and give my life to him, if you would please raise your hand. I would love to pray with you. Thank you. And perhaps you're in here and maybe you've been blinded by the, the traditions, by the religious things, and you'd like to see God, in a new light, in a new way, in a fresh way. If that's you this morning, if you would raise your hand, I would love to pray for you as well. Thank you. Father, we come to you this morning, and I thank you. I thank you that though we are blind, we can see. Though we are lost, we can be found. And I pray for those this morning, Lord, that are saying, I, I want to know you. I want to do this journey of life with you. And I pray, Father, right now that they would 
in their own way, saying, Lord, I invite you to come into my life and make you Lord and Savior. And I pray, Father, in this moment that they would be a new creation, that they would not be the same person walking out as they did when they walked in because of you. And I pray, Father, for those of us that can get lost in the traditions and in the blindness of, of church, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to be able to see you in a new way, to see what you are doing, to see where you're guiding us, where you're leading us, how you want us to grow. Father, I thank you for these people, and I, I bless them, and I pray, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself to them, that you would continue to bless them, to use them, to walk with them. Let them know that you are there, that even though they've cried out once or twice, that they would have endurance, that they would have trust, that they would have faith, because it is their faith that heals them. We bless you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, my friends, I pray that this week we, we see Jesus in a whole new light, that though we are blind, we see may he reveal himself to us in new ways. Because in him is hope. In him is eternal life. May he show you and remind you of this this whole next week. Thank you for being here. I love you. God bless. See you for Easter Sunday. Have a great week.